Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. We're going to talk today about the Ethiopian eunuch. So we've got up to Acts 8, and it's 26 to 40. And so now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Lord, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture he was reading was like this. Done? Yeah, it's good. Okay. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied. Now, who can describe uh, his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, um, and beginning with his, this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as he was going along the road, he came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptised? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down in the water and Philip and the eunuch and he baptised him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. And Philip found himself in Azotus and he passed through the, and, preached, and he preached the gospel in the towns until he came to Samaria. Jesus said in Matthew uh, 16, I will build my church. God is the architect of what he's doing and God is going to construct it. I will build my church is what God says. And it says in Psalms that unless God builds the house, the builders labour in vain. And you know my heart in this place and I've said it before, my constant prayer is God if we build anything in this place that's not built on you, tear it down. Tear it down because we're wasting our time and our energy. We can only build on Christ. Jesus said, I'm building my church and God has got a plan for the way that he wants to build his church. And we can build denominations and we can build church groups and we can build sects. Sects. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) S-E-C-T-S. Sects. Um, But but God isn't going to be in any of that. God isn't going to be anything we build to, to set up ourselves. When God built a house, he said, I'm going to build it like the wise man. I'm going to build it on a rock and I'm going to build it on a foundation. And I want us to just, and maybe this is all we'll cover this morning, I want to look at the pattern of the way God builds because God builds according to a pattern. And once we understand the way God wants to work, we can step into that pattern and into his plan. And if we look in the Old Testament, we see that whatever habitation God built for himself, it was according to a pattern. And Moses was given every detail of the tabernacle that he was told to build it according to a plan. And every measurement and every type of material and everything was given to Moses. And he 
wasn't to deviate from the plan and the pattern that God had given him. And God provided Moses with skilled people in the wilderness, in the desert. God provided every material. God provided everybody with skills. Exactly as Pastor Abraham said this morning. You don't have to wait until God has given you everything that you need. You just have to do. You just have to be willing-hearted. You just have to hear what God is saying to you. In other words, to quote Tommy Barnett, the miracle was in the house. You know, church, we've got everything we need in this place and God will add to what we've got in order to do what we have to do. The miracle is in the house. They were all in the desert. They had everything they needed, all the skills, all the materials, everything. They didn't go to the shops. They had nothing. And yet the miracle was there. The miracle is here in the house, in each and every one of us. And if you haven't read that book by Tommy Barnett, you should read it. The way that God brings people together and provides for what they need. Um, When David built his tabernacle and Solomon built his temple, each habitation was built according to a pattern of God. Um, I'm just going to skip forward here and I just want to have a look um, at the patterns that God has given for buildings and because it will help us to see if we look at I'm not going to read that if we look at Moses for example um, Moses was building a tabernacle it was a dwelling place for God the instructions came from God on the mountain and God provided him with builders He also provided him with substance, as I've just explained to you. Everything he had, he needed. Solomon, he had built a tabernacle, a dwelling place for God. Um, The instructions came from his father, David. Now, David originally conceived the idea for the tabernacle, and it was inspired in his heart, and he had all the instructions. And so when he said Solomon was going to build the temple, he gave Solomon the instructions. The instructions came from his father. The instructions for Moses to build the tabernacle came from the father. The father gave the instructions. We know that Solomon had builders. He had all the people that he needed and all the skills, and we know that he had the substance He had everything that he needed in order to build it. And then there was Jesus. And Jesus is building a habitation for his presence. Jesus is building a house. Jesus is building the church. The purpose of the church is to be a habitation for Christ. The purpose of the church is to be a habitation for God. And he had instructions from who? His father. Instructions come from the father. The instructions have come from the father. Jesus said, I only do the things the father tells me. And then Jesus has got his builders. He's contracted out the work. He's got co-laborers. Who are the co-laborers? Us. Please don't think the church is going to be built on a handful of leaders. The church has got to be built on the co-laborers. We've got to own up to being a co-laborer. We've got to own up to saying, I'm part of what's God doing. God has subcontracted out the work. He's subcontracted it out to us and to everybody who's called upon the name of the Lord. And God has given to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. We don't have an exclusive right over the church, but we're here to build up. The purpose of a teacher is what? to build up the body of Christ and bring it to maturity. That's the purpose of a teacher. That's why we do what we do here. That's why we're going to set up something on Sunday nights, to build you up, to teach you, to prepare you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to be a co-laborer. God has subcontracted out to you. 
And you've got to take the responsibility for what God has invested in you. The fullness of the Godhead doesn't dwell in a person. It dwells in the church. It's plural. It dwells in all of us. And your contribution to the body of Christ and what God has put in you is essential. It is essential. What God, don't sit there and say, oh, God wouldn't use me. God is wanting to use us all in whatever skills and talents and gifts he's put in us. And God has brought you to this place for such a time as this. And you need to take the responsibility for what God has given you. The fullness of the Godhead bodily will dwell in us corporately. What God has given me, he won't give to you necessarily. But what God has given to you, he won't necessarily give to me. As a body of Christ here, we're co-laborers with Christ. When In John 17, if you read... And God has given the substance. We have just heard incredibly this morning about how God provides substance. And we are such a wealthy nation. We are when the 1% most wealthy people in the world. And Bromley is the wealthiest borough in London. And God can provide easily. If God can provide for a man who has nothing and hasn't eaten for five days, God can so easily provide for us. And if you look in John 17 and you read the prayer of the disciple when he prayed for his disciples, he said to them, he said, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one who you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus came with a mandate. Jesus came with a pattern to build what he wanted to build. And you can see the pattern going right back through Moses of the way God wants to do things. God's work on earth is not some random act. It's planned and orchestrated according to a pattern of building. And God has brought you to this place for this hour, for this time. And I've been here waiting for it for 38 years. I know God is going to do something. I've seen what God has done in this place over the years, and so has Mark. And God is bringing us to a time when he wants to step out, and he's bringing people to encourage us, to help us, to cheer us on. We've just done a whole series on running with endurance. Isn't it time to get up and start moving? Isn't it time we've got a week of prayer and fasting coming? God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to be? And God is putting down the foundation for his son's bride. For the church. And Jesus has said he's going to build his church according to his pattern. If you look at that word in the Greek, and please don't assess my Greek, but the word in Greek is, um, let me just find where I wrote it. Anyway, whatever the word is in Greek, (laughs) so you put me right off course now. Whatever the word in Greek, it doesn't mean just to build. It means to build up, to edify. So when God says he's going to build his church, he's not just putting something together. He's putting something together with power and with authority. God is going to build up the church, not just put it together, but strengthen it and edify it. So there are two sorry, there are two processes then that occur in the building of God's house. First, the materials have got to be gathered, and that's evangelism. Evangelism is about gathering people. Evangelism is about bringing together anybody rough and ready, unplaced stones. Now, I'm going to share a very small part of my testimony. And as I wasn't as bad as you, I feel that I can now. (laughs) I was close, but I wasn't as bad. 
So there are two things in, in building. The first thing is evangelism. The first thing is to go out there and gather the people, rough, unhewn stones, and bringing them into the, pla- into the house. The second thing is the work of the teachers then, to shape and to build up and to bring the body of Christ to maturity. Multiplication is not necessarily edification, but we need both. And multiplication or gathering of people together has got to come first and then edification where we build the stones to fit together each and every one. And you've just spoken that over Mark, that Mark's a man to release people, release people into their ministry. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to gather the people and then we've got to help to shape them and to mature them and to grow them and to develop them and to assemble them into what God has for them. So when it comes to evangelism and multiplication then, um, it brings us to some principles. And let's just go through a few principles in Philip because it's Philip that um, is the man in the story. So what can we learn from Philip then? So the first thing we can learn from Philip then is Philip was sensitive to the voice of God and obeyed when he heard. You know, it takes time to build the kind of relationship with God that you can hear when he speaks. And, you know, one of the things that I struggle with, and I think many of us do but perhaps don't realise, is the noisy world that we live in. And can God speak into our noise? Yes, he can. The problem is, can we hear God in our noise? You know, my answer phone has been on for about 10 years. I never answer my phone at home. It goes straight to the answer phone, and then I decide when I want to answer it. Now, people who know me and need to get hold of me urgently have got my mobile number. And that's why most of you haven't. (laughs) Because if there's one thing I hate in life, it's being on tap for everybody all the time. Because I need to be on tap for God. God has the only one who has access to me all the time, whenever he wants, even in the middle of the night if he wants to wake me up. And I need quiet. I need quiet. You know the kind of work I do. I need to go home. I need to have time with God. I like peace and quiet in my home. I like to have that. I love to get up early in the morning. It's so quiet. Before everybody else at five o'clock, it's just beautiful. to enjoy. Even if you're still in bed, just to enjoy the quiet and to be able to focus in and fix my mind on God. It takes time to build that kind of relationship with God where God can just whisper and you hear him. Um, when Jesus walked on the earth, he only did the things he heard the Father say him and he could only hear because he spent time with the Father. He would go all night, wouldn't he, up on the mountains. And he would take himself away from things and away from people. Now, I'm looking at Tina, and I know you've got three kids under five, and I know it's not easy to find quiet. But, you know, even in the midst of your kind of world, God will speak into it. If you've got your antennae up to the Holy Spirit, you know, we need to have our antennae up to the Holy Spirit the whole time so that in, in our world we can hear God when he says... Uh, The second thing we know about Philip is that um, Philip did not fear to minister to a eunuch, a man in authority. Now, a eunuch was a man who'd been castrated. And they were usually servants of high-ranking officials or rulers. Now, there were two reasons why they castrated their men. The first reason was because they didn't want them to engage in sexual activity with their women, so maybe in their harem. And the second reason they castrated them was because they didn't want them to usurp them and start their own dynasty. So they cut them off right at the beginning before they brought them in for their own protection and they became servants. I literally... 
they became servants. So there was a reason for castrating them. And this, this um, Ethiopian eunuch was a proselyte. So he was converted to the Jewish religion and he'd been to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage to worship. And interestingly, he'd gone to worship somebody, but he didn't know who he was worshipping. How many of us this morning have stood and worshipped God, but we don't really know who the one that we worship? Because our relationship isn't that so tight and close with God. We don't really know who we're worshipping. This man had been worshipping. He'd gone on a pilgrimage from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship someone, and he didn't even know who he was worshipping. Church, we can live like that for years and years and years and years, not really knowing the one that we worship. There is no point in worshipping unless we know the one that we're worshipping. And after a conversation, it says, he went on his way rejoicing. So therefore, something had changed. Some revelation of who Jesus was had occurred in that time. Something had changed for him. And Paul said that he had learned to be all things to all people. Don't think God won't bring you before kings. (laughs) Don't think God won't bring you before important people or not important people. Just be willing. Just be willing because God knows what's in you is what that person needs. And we need to be willing-hearted. Philip was not bothered at all that this man was a man of standing, was a man of authority. He just went and heard the call. You know something, I don't know why God has been impressing this on me, but for about a year now I've really been praying when I pray for people, saying, God, what is the cry of their heart? Because I could pray anything over you, but it will just disappear into the atmosphere unless it's the cry of your heart. God, what is the cry of their heart? Philip heard the cry of this man's heart. He just went to him and he saw him reading and God spoke to him. You know, you can speak to anybody when you minister to the cry of their heart, when you minister to what's going on in their life. And God can give you that word for that person. He spoke to the Ethiopian eunuch and the man is credited with then taking the whole gospel back to Ethiopia and started the church in Ethiopia. You know, you could be talking to the next Billy Graham. You could be talking to the next Reinhard Bonnke. You could be talking to the next Joyce Meyer. You don't know who you're talking to. Yeah, Whoever you talk to, it could be at the bus stop. It could be at the school gate. It could be Evangelism doesn't necessarily, it very rarely takes place in here. It's going to happen out there. Whoever you're in touch with, whoever your day-to-day life comes in touch with, God will give you a word for that person to speak into their world. Yeah. And we understand that it's not our words of persuasion that win people to Christ. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not about our words. We might think we've said the wrong thing. We might think we don't know what to say. Far better we don't know what we think we don't know what to say. And then let God say what God, because God knows all man's hearts. And you could say something that ministers right into the heart of that person. God takes the foolish things to confound the wise. You know, it's far better to be foolish in the hand of God and let God use you in whatever he wants to use you. So Philip was willing to be led by the Holy Spirit to this one soul in need. And I'm just going to very quickly tell you how I came to Christ. Because it's this week in 1977 that I came to Christ because because one person, one person came down from Scotland to preach Christ to me. And when I was that age, um, I was in, in a terrible situation. Um, I was a heavy smoker. I smoked about at least 20 a day and not always ones I bought from the shops. <laughs> my favourite my favorite drink was um, Guinness and Coke. 
My favourite shot was, uh, I was thinking about this the other day, Southern Comfort, and I rode a motorbike and I hated myself. I hated myself. And one day I was coming to the end of my training and uh, I went to a friend's house at the top of Bromley here um, and uh, we were going to do some studying. It was two weeks before my finals. In, well, I was at the end of my nursing training. Two weeks before my finals. And I went to uh, Elaine, a friend of mine, who lived in Bromley North and we were going to do some last minute cramming and studying. And I got to her house and her brother was there. And her brother said... Um, and I said to her, well, your brother's come from Scotland, so, you know, we won't study. I'm not going to pass anyway. And I didn't. Um, so let's, you know, you have time with your brother. And he said, no. He said, I've got some studying to do. So you girls have some time together. And I said to him, what are you studying? And he said, I'm studying the Bible. And I said to him, and these were my words, why do you want to study that load of old rubbish? And he said, I'll, t- I'll tell you why. And he sat down and for three hours he preached Christ to me. And that night I went home and I just sat in my bed and I said, God, I don't even know whether you're there. I don't even know if you're real. But if you are, I want you to come into my life. And if you prove to me that you're real, I will serve you all the days of my life. That was my commitment. And the next morning when I woke up, I knew I was different. I knew something had happened. And I phoned him up. And he was only here for the weekend. And I phoned him up and I said, I've given my life to Christ. And he said, do you want to go to church? And I said, okay, as long as you don't take me to the kind of church I grew up in. Because it has no meaning. And I grew up in the Anglican church. He said, no, I won't take you there. And he brought me here. And the church in those days faced this way. And we sat at the back. And we got here late because we tried another church on the way. And we got here. And in this other church, I said to him, I walked out, I said, this is an Anglican church. I don't want to be in this. I've been in this growing up. It means nothing. And it was a baptism. So the service went on. It was about eight o'clock at night. And we sat at the back. And I walked in this place. And I thought, well, either they're really mad or they've got something. It was so full of joy and colour. That's what I remember. And, um, <clears throat> and at the end of the service, I met somebody who I'd known in the past, and that gave me a link here, and I met Reginev, and all, of those, all the rest is history. But do you know what? David, David was the man who led me to Christ. David went back to Scotland, and you know, I have never seen him since. I have never seen David since. And the last few years, I've tried to track him down, and I can't find him. And I lost track with his sister. So God sent this man from Scotland to talk to me for three hours one afternoon to preach Christ and it transformed my life. Don't think God can't use you because God knows a heart that's ready and God knows a heart that will respond. And all we need to do, I get really emotional because I'm getting on in life and I would really like to meet him again and I want to show him. what I think he went on to be a pastor somewhere but I can't find him. And I think that um, I want him to see what that conversation did and how it changed my life. Don't think that preaching to one is a waste of time. God knows people's hearts. So Philip knew then, the next thing about Philip was, um, Philip knew the scripture and was able to preach the gospel from the Old Testament in the light of Calvary. How well do we know our Bible? How well do we know our Bible? Do we really know it? Could we sit down now? Every single person who's been saved more than six months should be able to lead someone to Christ. If you've had a true salvation experience, you have even that that you can share with people. How well do we know our word? How precious is it to us? 
Where does it figure in our day-to-day life? Because we've got to equip ourselves. As teachers, we can try and equip you, but we're not spoon-feeding you. You've got to devote yourself. This has got to become important. This has got to take priority over everything, except the rugby. (laughs) Japan and South Africa. (laughs) That was what you were going to share, wasn't it? So don't ask anything of me for the next six weeks, okay? <clears throat> and uh, I've got tickets for the Australia-Wales match. <laughs> yes. Um, so, where was I? <laughs> yes. So Philip knew the scriptures, and he climbed up in the chariot, and he just knew wherever it was open. Could you open the scriptures randomly and pick it up and start helping people to understand what it means? How precious is this word to us? How precious is this word to us? Um, he was able to teach that eunuch. He was able to just get up there. And it doesn't say Philip opened his Bible. It says Philip opened his mouth. Yeah. He just came along here beside him and he opened his mouth. How could he just open his mouth? Because it was in his heart. Yeah, yeah. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the most important treasure, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. If your treasure is the word of God, your heart will be there. And out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. Philip preached Christ, a person, not a doctrine. Don't preach BCC. Don't preach yourself. Preach Christ. David preached Christ to me. David told me how Christ could change my life. David told me that Christ had forgiven my sins and could give me a new life and a changed life. And I wanted that more than anything else at that time. Preach Christ. We are not going to reach people. If we're going to reach people, we need to preach Christ. There's no other name on earth or under heaven by which men can be saved. Don't big up this church. Don't big up any church. Big up Jesus. Teach people about Jesus. And the day we stop bringing Jesus to the platform here as our priority is the day I leave. It's got to be Jesus and Jesus first. God is not going to build on anything other than the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. And we need to be willing to preach Jesus. Unless we're going to preach Christ and him crucified for our salvation, we might as well shut up shop now. Doctrines can be debated and denominations may have their particular theme, but the message of the gospel never changes. And that's what we have to have in our heart and in our mouth. And Philip preached saving faith to the eunuch. It was wholehearted conversion. We don't get converted when we put our hands up in church. We have to make a commitment. I said to God, I will serve you all the days of my life. And I've never reneged on that. And I never will. We need to make a commitment We need to recognise the need for Christ in our life and what he wants to do and make a commitment. And such was the commitment then that Philip saw that he had been baptised in water. I was baptised six weeks after I got saved. After I got saved, I said, what's next? They said, baptism. I said, "Okay, when? And they said, the next one is in six weeks. Okay, I'm in. And I was baptised. Did I understand what I was doing? No, of course I didn't. I just wanted to be obedient. I just wanted to be obedient. And after I was baptised, I said, what's next? And they said, baptism and the Holy Spirit. I said, okay, when? (laughs) And they said, as soon as God's ready. (laughs) And that was six months later. We have to have a hunger for God. We have to have a hunger to see God do unusual things. 
We have to, we heard at the AOG conference last year that God is an extraordinary God. We need to expect extraordinary things. Um, um, And so Philip saw that it it was saving faith and Philip saw it right through. We need to be able to bring people right through to baptism because baptism is symbolic, symbolic of losing the old life and starting the new and we need to stay with people and help them through baptism seals our confession we confess that with our believe in our heart confess with our mouth and get baptized it's the sealing of our faith church god is building his church and you and i are co-laborers and the church is not going to be built on the leaders it's going to be built on all of you and all of the rest of us co-laboring with Christ. God is still using a pattern. He's still using the same pattern that he's used since time began. Don't shy away from from what God wants of you. Don't you think he knows you? He's not asking you to be me. He's not asking you to be Mark or Liz or any of the others. He's asking you to be you. And he's invested in you. And he knows what's in you. Steep yourself in the word. Switch off that television and steep yourself in the word. There is no greater investment that you can have in your life than having the word of God. The scripture says that we should be ready to with a word both in and out of season. Philip could have said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm out of season. I haven't prepared for this. I didn't know you were going to send me to this chat. No, Philip opened his mouth and out it came. You know, on the day of Pentecost, and I'm going to finish with this, it says that there were in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. You know what? We can feed our minds on fear about all the people that are coming into this country. We can feed our minds on fear about all the people that are trying to get into Europe. We can start saying, oh gosh, I'm sure a quarter of them must be related to ISIS. I'm sure that they're going to bring terror to our nation. We can feed our mind with fear or we can say, God is bringing them here because the harvest is ripe and the labourers are few. We don't have to go anywhere. God is sending millions of people our way and across Europe. And yet fear is what is being raised up in this nation. No, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. God is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. It will not overwhelm God and what God is doing. Church, we need to hear what God is doing in this hour at this time. And we need to rise up and become all that he's called us to be. Amen.